that has been some song from the 60s. Coming up next, three guys talk about movies right here on LKFM. Hey everybody, uh, welcome to a very slow start to the Last King podcast. This is uh, eccentric Tom Tarantino. And like all the slow burns, this has been Mr. Brown. (laughs) Why are we using our code names? Don't use your real names, boys. Okay, Mr. Yellow. (laughs) Uh, That's me, that's me. I'm Mr. Yellow. (laughs) Mr. Toffee here speaking. Mr. Toffee? So I'm Mr. White? Nobody is allowed to name themselves. We're going to talk about Tarantino films because once upon a time in Hollywood finally dropped here in Asia. And yes, a lot thank of you people. God. Yes. Okay, a, a lot of people have been talking about it and we've been we've not been purposely holding back our opinion on the film because for some reason it's one of those classic traditional movies where it doesn't have an international release. Yeah, it so is. for the last three weeks, whenever we've been online, we've basically had to do the digital equivalent of la 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 <laughs> to try and ignore all of we the ignored all and spoilers. social media, all, all the, the stories, all the, all the news posts. Yeah. Yeah, so, yes, everything. and of course, this is also celebrating the 25th anniversary of uh, Tarantino's masterpiece, Mr. Pulp Fiction, dropped way back in 1994, 25 years ago, not to the day, I think. But yeah, but more or less random. It's time. the same year. It's the same. I mean, the, the, the year itself. We're like just doing this for years. the SEOs, boys. Okay, exactly. Come on. Like, uh, but yes, this is an opportunity for us to talk about Quentin Tarantino finally releasing a new film, the ninth of 10, which we're all very worried about. And um, I would say we're going to do this in a very Tarantino style where we're, we're going to start the beginning. <laughs> so start the end and then go back the to end. the beginning. Yep. Because this is going to be a full on retrospective in three parts. I'm going to start with the last part. <laughs> And, and then we're going to jump to the front. One, two, and three. <laughs> yes, so uh, do not listen to this in chronological order because it's not going to happen. <laughs> we're going to go straight into our review of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And boys, general impressions. Uh, it's nice to see a Tarantino movie in cinema. How about you, Mr. Yellow? <laughs> I, I actually loved it. I mean, just the fact that it actually gets... It's like seeing Tarantino's vision of, you know, the, the dying golden age of Hollywood, which is really pretty. We have to say the least. We're talking about the dying golden age. We're now in that wonderful golden age of comic Superhero book movies. movies. Oh my god. I don't know if you can call that golden. And franchise garbage. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> More like a like golden, like, you know, like kind of faded gold, you know. Faded or pirate gold. gold. <laughs> yeah. Hey, this is a golden age for uh, shareholders of Disney stock. Jesus Christ. Yeah, pretty oh, much. Pretty much. <laughs> How annoying is that? But it's nice uh, to see that, you know, Quentin Tarantino is playing against type, thankfully. You know, he's not caving type. in. This is very Tarantino. No, no, I mean playing against type against every other film out there. Like, nobody else is doing what he is doing at Are all. Are you hypothesizing if Tarantino made a superhero film? I hope not. God, please, please. You do know what his next project could possibly be, right? I'd rather not know. I'd rather not No, know. it has been kind of announced. He's going to do a Star Trek next. Oh, that one is more like a rumor-ish. And I don't he know, has openly kinda. admitted it that like he has been in talks, and it's like it's J.J. Abrams probably prodding at him like, "Hey, you want to have a have a go at the Star Trek? Because I need to concentrate on the Star Wars." Because and I kind of thought he told him to fuck off. That's I don't know. <laughs> maybe he maybe didn't say fuck off. I love his his uh, response to J.J. Abrams, where he's like, "What the fuck is the Calvin verse? No, 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 no. <laughs> it's just." Kirk, Spock, and Bones. What is this shit? <laughs> yeah, okay. I just that was the other to, response I heard. I just yes. want to cuddle him. He's like, yes! <laughs> He's like, but uh, he does like the first movie. Like, he felt that, uh, which Chris was this? Chris Pine. Yeah. Chris Pine, uh, Zachary Quinto, and of course, everybody's favorite man here at The Last My King. My boy, Our Carl boy, Urban. Mr. Carl Urban. <laughs> Everybody did uh, Pitch Perfect, uh, 
I wouldn't even say impressions, but like uh, versions. Perfect pose. The yeah. of yes. They like were... that's literally James T. Kirk. That's literally like Leonard Nimoy Spock right there on the screen. And uh, I think like Tarantino has kind of like exclaimed like he is a proper nerd. He loves some uh, 60s uh, Star Trek. I don't know because if you check the IMDb right now, yeah. it's right there with the announced in brackets. Like, oh. like untitled well, Star Trek film. I mean, film. IMDb is user um, input. So, like, take it with a big grain of salt. But, big grain of salt. I mean, it's has... still not confirmed, but, you know, if he does pull it off, we'd be, it'll be an interesting thing. That's that for sure. Because I'm very curious to see, like, Tarantino doing science fiction slash science fantasy. <laughs> that would be, then he would have completed the Kubrick. He would have done everything except a horror. And there are some parts of his filmology that it's kind of horrible. That, <laughs> well, I mean, that horrifying. Horror, <laughs> the horror adjacent aspects in some of it. But it's the fun kind of horror where we all yeah. get to cheer. Like a great slasher movie. Like, yeah, kills. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. But also at the same time, um, it was either that and then like, I don't know. I mean, uh, we're not going to go straight into the review because when it comes to talking about the end of an era, we're literally very close to seeing this is the penultimate Tarantino film mm-hmm. and the next project which is going to be like three years from now could possibly be a Star Trek or he has also kind of teased in the past he's very interested in doing a Kill Bill 3 which is the bride 20 years later with the daughter which would then he'll probably do that because then he'd say ah that's still part of the same movie and that's one, two, and three that's all one movie <laughs> yep. and even the- though you've had to pay three times to go see it as a cinema and the thing is uh we already have a daughter. And she's acting and she's pretty solid. And it's oh, like, yeah, yeah. From Stranger's Stranger 3. Stranger Things 3. She's a really she's, good actress. Yeah, she's yeah. like slinging ice cream in Stranger Things 3 right now. And she <laughs> was the one that got away in Once Upon a Time. Mm-hmm. So, Shared I Universe? Think, nah. I think we're going to be a bit uh, spoilerish on the Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, okay. right? Fuck yeah. Look, <laughs> you know, we've had to, you know, dodge spoilers for the last three weeks. You're getting spoiled right fucking now. Okay. Yeah. Just a little so, bit of warning for people listening. You know, if you haven't seen it, please watch it. It's a really good film. And we're going to be talking about it. I was going to say, oh, finally, a film. <laughs> yes, that too. That too. Yeah, it's like, film. oh, look, a movie that doesn't follow the three X structure. A movie that just takes its time to develop characters and tell and boy, stories. And have time. scenes. Look. 1969 Hollywood rebuilt with love and dedication yes, with a lot yeah. of for the sake of a cutaway I was like yes. huh <laughs> it's like you would look into the background of the shop windows and you would see pamphlets and magazines of that era yeah, you know yeah. and then you would actually see the actual neon lights like buzz up it's like where does he get his money oh yeah he's fucking Quentin Tarantino <laughs> I think that's probably one of my favorite parts of this film. Basically, you just want to take in the sights of this recreation. Seeing the lives of these two golden stars played by Brad Pitt and uh, Leonardo DiCaprio. Two very golden boys indeed, huh? Yes, yes. very, very And they are, you know, I mean, they're sort of like in a time when people are kind of fading away from cowboy films and TV shows and all that. But like still, how we're fading you know, away from actual movies and doing just superhero shit. Then, exactly, right, it's just now. a nice timing right there, you know? Like, this film come out at just the right time where we need this kind of films. I mean, he does it's a nice snapshot into the past. I agree. And there's also, and like a lot of Tarantino films, strangely topical. <laughs> yes, yeah. that how is he? How does he manage to have so much of a meta-narrative? Oh yeah, he's, Tar- he's Tarantino. Hmm. He does that, huh? Because he spends three years thinking about his movie and not, you know, dicking around doing other stuff. 
because he doesn't write spec scripts. He just writes the story. He writes yeah. actual scripts. <laughs> he doesn't cater to demographics or to executives. He's like, no, this is the story. This is exactly the story I want to tell. And it's also so quite telling of the end of an era where it's like, could he possibly be the last author left? I mean, besides... The last author who gets money, maybe. I guess. I mean, like, I think Nolan might be the other guy. Yeah. He's still busy doing this other movie for 2020, so that's why he hasn't done much, so... Even if they didn't drop a teaser trailer for something like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, it's like, I can't wait to see this. What's he going to do now? Because you always have this... I think that's what I love about Tarantino in general, is the fact that he's... As much as people complain that he's self-indulgent and he writes for himself... He does get his audience, and he does get the general movie-loving public, and he knows how to sell a story. But more importantly, he knows how to market everything, because like the, everything is just this laser point accuracy of exactly the vision he wants to achieve, and how he's gonna fund it, and how he's gonna get the right cast and like the right hype. Like we need more of his shit, <laughs> especially now. I mean, if you're gonna make me sit through Phase Five, I promise me at least three more movies. Yeah, it's not gonna happen. <laughs> We're gonna have to find some other director to keep us safe. Or for the next it, it could years. be like the Miyazaki style of retirement where I'm gonna stop making movies and the current three years of movies <laughs> suck. I'm gonna come back again to show you how it's done. That's yeah, what I'm saying. Let's roll right into uh, our review of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood proper. Uh, it's gonna be a, a nice little round table. I'm gonna start with uh, Mr. White. <laughs> I guess so, yeah. We're going this way. Or shall we make you Mr. Pink? Come on. I'm just going to be dropping Tarantino references. I, I can't help it. Uh, yeah, no. So how about you? Um, what did you love about this? What I think I really just got away from this was just... Even though there were moments where it definitely was slowing down and it was, you know, more, you know... I wouldn't say indulging, but kind of just like letting it... Letting you like soak in the atmosphere and just a general ambiance of what it was. I was still riveted by what was going on on screen. Like that's, I think, the beauty that Tarantino has is that he makes even slow scenes so absolutely enticing to watch. I mean, it wasn't totally jarring, right? It was no. something where it's, it allowed you to just breathe. And then I think because things happen rather, I wouldn't even say randomly, but he throws so many different things at you and he allows you to take the time to just reset yourself and like, okay, now this is happening. Exactly. Now this even is happening. when there's some cutaway scenes where you think, where the hell is this going? It comes back like, oh, that was just him thinking back to a particular moment <laughs> yes. he had with Bruce Lee. Like, okay. <laughs> well, I guess that does happen sometimes. And then like, you think to yourself, oh yeah, this is a Tarantino film. He does that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The like, cutaways uh, and everything. Those are the most, yeah, and it makes sense. I think another thing I did like is that he doesn't answer every single question that comes up. Like, did Brad Pitt's character actually kill his wife? We never know. We just see her <laughs> I being, love the way that hangs. Yeah, we just see an absolute bitch of a woman be on his case. Like, well, I don't know. <laughs> I can probably see why he would, but we're not gonna yeah, answer that question. No, I find it also very interesting because that is definitely an analog to the likes of I think uh, Robert Wagner and Natalie Robert Wood. Wagner and his yeah, I, dead I wife. saw that yeah, reference yeah. as well. It's like, it's like oh, uh, okay, okay, he, like he killed his wife and got away with it. And I just love how like Zoe Bell comes out of nowhere and just starts screaming at him. He's like, hey, it's Zoe Bell. Yeah, <laughs> it's like. Uh, he's beating up our lead right there, and it's like he threw him at the car. It's like, what the fuck in the car? I mean, that's one thing I will say. I didn't particularly enjoy how they portrayed Bruce Lee. I didn't mind. I yeah. love the arrogant Bruce Lee. <laughs> but I mean, I but that's kind of the charm of Bruce Lee. Like he's kind of arrogant, boss because he can absolutely by like, just snap you in half. Well, yeah, but also. 
you know this is all just alternate reality. It's a fantasy. Of course, yeah. <laughs> you, have and, and, of, you have to check yourself because the, I, I, I get what you mean where you, like, you slowly lapse into the fact like, oh, that couldn't possibly happen. Wait, I'm watching a Tarantino movie. Yeah. I'm supposed oh, to surrender this very evident That's a bit of a revisionist thing going that on. This is definitely yeah. fantasy land. <laughs> no, oh yeah. boy. And we'll get to the final... I think we'll talk about Final Third like, as a separate... Uh, later aspect. on, later on. We'll yeah. get to it. Uh, okay. But in general, yeah, it's just... Uh, it was almost a meditation, I would say, in film form. Which I love. Yeah, you're just kind of sitting there and just... I don't know, just like really just... Soak it in. Yeah, it's it's kind of like when when you go to uh, two different kinds of bars. Like one you go to to get fucking wasted, action movies. Then one you go in to get slightly more expensive whiskey and you... And suddenly have a philosoph- philosophical this conversation. Is <laughs> you sip for half an hour, an hour, and then just, you know, you enjoy the time with it. You soak in the ambience. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what about you, Mr. Brown? I Mr. Guess. Brown? Yeah. yeah. Uh, doesn't Mr. Yellow want to go first? Are we going according to uh, the primary colors? or? Uh, let's go with yellow first. Um, <laughs> <laughs> of course, yeah. Because let's go talk now. Yeah. Once you go yellow, you only can get mellow? I don't know. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah. Yellow, what I like about this is like the chemistry between the two characters. Definitely. Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio who play Cliff and Rick Dalton respectively. I mean, seeing Rick like trying to get into grips to be a great actor when he's taking on that uh, TV role as a villain just that, you know, like him psyching himself up, especially when he flubbed the line during one of the oh, scenes. Yeah. It really worked out really well. I just enjoyed the fact that he just portrays all these emotions, especially when his friend, who happens to be a girl, a female, act, a little girl actress in the film, just mm-hmm. gives all that young gives Meryl Streep, like, yeah. like, fucking method actor. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I tried to give him validation I mean, at the end. That was adorable. Yeah. <laughs> I know, because, like, the first minute, I was like, I hate this girl. And then five minutes later, I love this, and I want to protect her for the rest of my life. Because, <laughs> Jesus Christ, this is amazing. <laughs> I don't know. Having her explain the method to fucking Leonardo DiCaprio <laughs> yeah. was such a it was adorable. Movie. Yeah, it was it was like, adorable. Wait, you know who you're talking to, Leonardo? Di- oh wait, yeah, I'm watching a Tarantino movie. Yeah, I'm supposed to surrender yeah. disbelief. And I think that's also one of the things I love about his films is like if you're a film nut or you're a proper film geek, you're just constantly forgetting you're watching a movie, and then you're some all of a sudden remember right, rem- remembering that oh this is a movie, and then it's like. That fluctuation between film fan and audience member and like hyper geek is like yeah yeah that scene when he was talking about the book he was reading and then just breaking out in tears halfway and through. how is a narrative yeah. on his own emotions exactly. yeah and then seeing stuff. the girl respond and yeah. then like and then you'll just remember like that's fucking Leonardo DiCaprio yeah yeah that's the reason why he won like an Oscar or so because of just the finally way finally character. for the wrong movie for the wrong yeah I still True see Aviator right. <laughs> I would say Aviator, and then second choice would have been Wolf of Wall Street. Wolf of... Mm. What else came out that year? I, yeah, I know I he didn't... Know. I don't think Revenant was that great. Revenant I'm was fine. fine. With it. Yeah. it was okay. It was definitely the but, uh, the, the lesser of the Inuritu movies. But I would say also, like, uh, his Oscar for Revenant felt more like a... Alright, fine. Here you go. It's like a complimentary Oscar. Like, yeah, you should get <laughs> one like, by okay, now. okay, you actually ate a, a liver and stepped inside a horse. Okay, fine. Jesus Christ, you nutcase. Take this Oscar. Okay, now go start in Tarantino movies because that's where you belong. <laughs> yeah, wouldn't it be so so funny if like he won a second Oscar for this movie? Yeah, I did. What's the Oscar buzz in this? Right, this is definitely going to be nominated. It, it came all out over a the few place. weeks ago. I think it, it like came on second place after uh, Lion King. I guess Lion King is still first, of course. So oh, in box office? Yeah, yeah, total box office. We live in we live in trash times, huh? Yeah, weird yeah. times. Yeah, <laughs> a bunch it's of like... CGI lions destroyed Brad Pitt and. Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio. I wouldn't well, say destroyed. Shit, like, there was very limited release here in Singapore. There were only like one showing a day at my cinema. Big. And then also at the same time, it's like, because it's Tarantino, it at least it got an international release. 
Yeah, you have to think about it that way because everywhere around the world, people are just clamoring for more of his work. Yeah, and I can tell you in Malaysia, the only Quentin Tarantino film that we watched legally was uh, what Inglorious Bastards, and even that got censored pretty bad here. Really? Oh, I can believe that. Yeah, yeah, yeah I can believe that. Uh, the only thing that was censored here was Reservoir Dogs. Reservoir Dogs had a lot of the so-called violence taken out, which is impossible because everything to do with Tim Roth is so essential to the story. <laughs> yes, How can is. you cut yeah. any of that out? Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, we're going to talk about that very much later. Okay, but let's uh, continue the love fest here for... Uh, wait, is it my turn, Mr. Brown? I guess uh, it yeah, is, Yeah, go ahead. I want to say this. Performances, fucking spectacular. Mm-hmm. Oh, Everyone. Sure. Even the random cameos and walk-ons. They're like, you know, I'm not saying that uh, Michael Madsen did a great job, but fucking when Luke Perry came out... Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, looking at Luke Perry, rest in peace. Okay, yeah. forever, forever in our hearts. And like just watching like Leonardo DiCaprio and Luke Perry, and these are like juggernauts of like TV in the eighties and nineties, staring down each other. To me, it was that exact moment I felt when I saw like Bruce Willis and John Travolta looking at each other. Like yeah. this is the action hero of the eighties looking at like the action hero of the seventies, the biggest thing in the seventies. Like this is fucking Saturday Night Fever looking right across to Die Hard. And, and Die Hard fucking shooting Saturday Night Fever down. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, yep, <laughs> it's the end of that era. <laughs> And then here I am looking at, like, freaking, like, okay, Luke Perry looking at Leonardo DiCaprio. And then there was that scene where you have fucking uh, Mr. 90s looking at Mr. 70s, Mr. Al Pacino. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's like, what blew my mind was that that line where he's like, oh, the, the, with the machine gun and the brrrr and the violence. I love it. And it's <laughs> like, that's fucking Scarface. <laughs> that's Tony fucking Tony Montana. Montana. <laughs> that's Michael, Michael Corleone, the Godfather. Looking at Leonardo DiCaprio, like if I was Leonardo DiCaprio, I mean, like he's worked with some heavyweights. He's he, yeah. was, he sat across De Niro, he sat across Scorsese, and then I think like to me this is like DiCaprio completing the collection. Yeah, like, the only one left is probably what Dustin Hoffman, and who else could that be? You know, and it's like okay, you've worked with everybody, huh? That's fucking annoying. At that age, how is he now? Forties? Uh, I think he's thirty-nine. Oh my god, he's the same age as me. Shit, <laughs> I need to get into shape. No fuck. Speaking of getting into shape. Fuck you, Brad Pitt, for yes. still having that body. Seriously, <laughs> fuck you for still looking like you're in your late 30s, early 40s. How do you survive an Angelina Jolie divorce and still have that? I mean, Tarantino does have a penchant for stunt casting. Mm, and he yeah. does have like he does have this uh, need to always write for a specific actor. It's like, this is up there with like uh, Vince and Jules just hanging out. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Like yeah. One of my favourite moments is these two assholes sitting on the couch watching FBI... Yeah, just like making stupid jokes at each other. And it's like, I do that too. Oh my god. I could be Brad Pitt or <laughs> DiCaprio. Yeah. Well, come on. You're much funnier than those two were being. <laughs> Thank you. You know, I would say. And also at the same time. And then all of a sudden, like this movie s- throws everything at you. And when, when we say it's a love letter to the 60s, right? It's definitely the best it's- kind of love letter. <laughs> it's the best thing. The worst thing about 1969 didn't yeah. happen in this world. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, we're alluding to that really hard, huh? Oh, yeah. I mean, okay, but it wouldn't be the last game podcast without the nitpicks. So, my general nitpick is definitely... And it's not even a bad nitpick. It's like, I notice it and it didn't break immersion, but what annoys me when, when I watch a film is when a, a director reminds us that he's directing. Yeah. And it's like, it's the part where basically the self-awareness mm-hmm. didn't get on my nerves, but unfortunately, I ended up chuckling alone in the cinema because I got the jokes. Like, the, the one thing that like just made me giggle every time was whenever an actress appears and she has to show her feet. 
Yeah, like that whole drive, <laughs> Darren's like, because even Margot Robbie took off her shoes in the cinema, and it was her feet right there. Does Quentin Tarantino like, have like a fetish or something with feet? I mean, like, for this and, film? and the thing is, like, it's because it has been alleged that Tarantino has a bit of a foot fetish. Oh, it's not alleged. <laughs> it's very, it's obvious. very real. Yes. But I'm just gonna be because I'm a fanboy. I'm just gonna be very apologetic and say not allegedly. That's just, just like because it was perceived very dirty, like bare feet. Yes. On that car, and even so. Even DiCaprio, as he was listening to his lines in the pool, had some feet close-ups. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I was like, now you're taking the piss, Tarantino. <laughs> you know I'm playing Now you're just showing off. Yeah. Now, now you're just showing off. God damn it. Yeah, maybe it's just like, a, it's getting out of control. And now it's like, men's feet as well as getting off. He's like, oh. He's become the tech director. of directors. I was like, this, this guy's amazing. He's like, oh yeah, yeah. And that's the thing. It's like, one of the, the main problems I have with this film is like, you know, it's like, it's that very... Like that, that cheeky not wink to the camera. It's because he does this so often and he's so practiced with it to the yeah. point where like he doesn't have to try to do it anymore. Yeah, and when he does it, he also realizes he's doing it. And he's like, yeah, sure. <laughs> it's my thing, petty. so I'm gonna do it. No this matter what. It's my thing. It's like, yeah, I mean, it's a fun thing for movie nerds to pick out and say like, oh, you know, just this thing, and then they can have like another five episodes of, of their like geek bullshit about this movie. And of it does course. seem, a, and to be fair, it does seem a bit redundant to say that Quentin Tarantino films are self-indulgent because they all are in a sense, you know. I mean, maybe uh, one every single one of them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even his first movie is a tad on the indulgence. But then side. we enjoy that. I mean, to yeah. that point where because he makes it entertaining per se for us yeah, as mean, an actual film. This is no say, Hateful Eight for sure, which is that feels more like a stage play to be honest than anything. Hateful Eight is the one movie that kind of annoys me. I mean, to me, his worst movie is still Death Proof. We'll get into that in uh, the second chapter of this <laughs> epic podcast. Yeah. Okay, we're, we're one, not even done all one podcast episode. Yeah. This is going to be five three. fucking hours of Tarantino, released in seven volumes, in non-linear fashion, starting so with the last one. So you're going to arrange it yourself. <laughs> yeah. Okay, and then it'll be the Japanese version, with all the blood left in. <laughs> <laughs> Toffee, song choices, what do you think? Oh yeah, definitely lovely. I mean, if anything, every Tarantino film, like... The the, the 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 songs they pick they really just fit the theme and fit the mood and everything what I also love about Tarantino movies is like after you watch one it's like I need to find this song right now yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> you it's did like, this with Reservoir Dogs you did this with Pulp Fiction you did this, did with, this Jackie with Jackie Brown everything everything yeah, you know? every one of his movies has just a fantastic collection of music and just listening to like fucking Neil Diamond as like like Brad Pitt is driving is like this is cinema this is visual storytelling nobody's talking right now we're just supposed to like soak in the atmosphere, look at the visuals, let let this tell the story. And like, yeah, you know what I mean. He's yeah. that guy who is like, here I have this amazing story to tell you, but he knows he's speaking to an audience that is more than his friends, mm-hmm. and he needs to tell it in a very systematic and in a very nuanced approach. Where let me give you the appropriate amount of details so that when the punchline happens, like a flamethrower, yeah, <laughs> you're like ah. <laughs> So that's what that was about. <laughs> that's the thing. That's what makes Tarantino movies great because you don't need to be like, you don't have to like get it to enjoy them. Like you can, on a surface level, enjoy every Tarantino movie just as, oh, mm. this is a fun movie with like funny dialogue. But then you can watch it again once you kind of know what all the references are. And you go, oh, it's just even better. And you can just every time you watch it, there's a new thing to kind of appreciate. I mean, so I'm looking forward to like the second rewatch of this movie. Yeah, I think that's it. This is the only movie this year that came out, aside from Alita Battle Angel, where I need to watch this again. You know, it's like, the, the colors they use, the different film stocks, the different cameras, 
and just how the aspect ratio just constantly changes. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Annoy some people, but for, for for an asshole like me, especially when he did that entire section where uh, uh, Rick Dalton goes through his Italian face. Oh, oh yeah, <laughs> and as a fan of that era and watching like the, the crummy the, camera angles, yep, yep, the same and the stuff, really the same shitty and film yeah. grain and everything, yeah. and it's just like this. And I think that's what I really love about Tarantino is like when he does a genre, that explicit need to be a purist about it to do it. Like no, no, I'm not gonna digitally try and like make this like happen in post I'm gonna fucking find the camera that you used back then with the fucking lights yep. and the fucking film stock just to do that yeah, you know just to film as is I really yeah. wanted to do a horror movie where you can just like do a whole section of hammer horror just to see what you do with that god that would be glorious I, will, I, I want to see him do that but also mix it with a slasher oh yeah you know what I mean where it's like this unstoppable force that just kills people and quotes like Sunny Chiba lines for some reason <laughs> yeah. I don't know what pop culture to like in, like introduced there in yeah. some rural backwater of the of England, like next to it's like castle <laughs> ruins, because it's the only place where you can film without a license. Oh gosh! Oh man! If only like Cushing or like uh, Best Dracula. Yes. If only they were still around, right? I think yeah. the can we get? I think the only one nitpick I can add here is you kind of need to do prior research before go before appreciating this entire film because I kind of disagree though I don't think you need to research I mean, yeah. I mean at least you heard know... about the whole you know the Manson murders at, le- at the very least you know just a passing hearing about right. it I would say the... most people are at least aware of Charles Manson but I think maybe they don't know what exactly the extent I don't know about that uh, yeah. in Asia though but I know in America obviously they do because the film not is not maybe I mean you, you can't say it because the thing is like I went with my girlfriend and she's European and she had no idea what was supposed to happen to Sharon Tate because I was like especially during that build up you know, that very Brian De Palma moment where even the TV you mean the stable you, part right the part of the uh, stable no no not even at the spawn ranch I'm yeah. talking about Actually, when fucking Kurt Russell is breaking down the time signatures, and oh, then when, yeah, yeah. even oh, yeah. the television is like, now the moment you've all been waiting for. Yes. And <laughs> I was gripping my chair. I, w- I was like, my face was... was is he going to do it? Yeah. I was just like scratching my head because here's the thing. I really like Margot Robbie. She's one of my favorite actors working. I was not looking forward to seeing her, her beautiful Sharon pregnant ass get killed. Right? Get stabbed 16 times. Or more. And then... Don't you forgot? I also did this in Glorious Bastards. <laughs> I revised history in one film. I, I can do another history. one. <laughs> like, look, motherfuckers, I killed Hitler. I'm not going to let Sharon Tate die as well. Yeah. And I just love that. About, and I think, you know what? Let's just give props to where props are due. Margot Robbie, is some, this is some of the most brilliant acting ever because it's like, she did all of that. She portrayed innocence, virtue, uh, idle-mindedness, like that. the essence of the 60s. With just her smile. Yeah, she yeah. doesn't even just, say much. She doesn't have to yeah. say anything. She's just like being in the scene. Just watching her giggle and chuckle to herself, watching herself mm-hmm. in the cinema. You know, it's like... And she just like encapsulates and captures everything that was beautiful about that era. And also at the same time, like... It's also like... Again, when I would say like... I know Tarantino's directing the movie. And I know this is a setup for something. And then when that final act starts... And in the back of my head is like... I hope you don't... Like... Oh yeah, what's what's missing right now? What's that ingredient we all forget? Oh, the violence, huh? What's he gonna do? Yeah, because <laughs> up to this point, this is actually the most restrained Tarantino. The tamest so far, as far as I yeah, know. Yeah, there's been no N words. There's been not that much swearing. Um, I mean, a lot of feet, but hey, you know. <laughs> and all the that, that's a bit of a trade-off, you know. <laughs> the best feet. Yeah. Okay, the best feet in this film. Okay, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> 
Margot Robbie's feet are immaculate. Oh, what yeah, no. <laughs> Margot Robbie is a treasure in every way. There you go. Mm. And then, um, but, okay, so we're going to enter the spoiler. We're going <laughs> to... We yeah, did, we yeah, did mention sure it I'm sure some of you know show, what happens. So, yeah. And I would say, like, god damn, this has got to be some of the most satisfying cinema. You see, I thought the violence in John Wick was, like, like the best thing that I've ever seen this year. Then this movie happened, and I thought to myself, I did not know that I wanted to see Brad Pitt smash Lena Dunham's head against <laughs> a kitchen tabletop. <laughs> I was like, I mean, why is this that, so enjoyable? Why am I laughing? so long. And, and having his dog, was, okay, Brandy, Second. do the work on the but guy. Like, and the oh. thing is, he, <laughs> he like, turned out around the room. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. Various laughs> he tried various uh, kitchen appliances, no, no, uh, uh, kitchen countertops and uh, sections. And, the, the, the beauty of it is right whereas John Wick was gratuitous to the point of like fun this was gratuitous to the point of like that he is such a master filmmaker where the catharsis everyone in the theatre felt because when the theatre I was in everybody was just laughing their ass off at just how like out of context that's some pretty gory violent shit going yeah, on right now Jesus Christ but because like if you like why I kind of disagree with you need to do the research if you didn't know what was supposed to happen like they still felt the same catharsis yeah. perhaps perhaps you know what I mean yeah, yeah. I, would, I was like because I knew what happened like my catharsis was way different and because of like the knowledge I have of like Tarantino flicks and like the fact that yeah he's gonna do something right now what it is and then I was like you know and god damn <laughs> like, he even has the infamous line I'm the devil here to do the devil's work and Bradford goes like yeah nah you said something far more stupid uh, oh yeah you text yeah you <laughs> text right yeah <laughs> I love that. I love how like. Oh yeah! In know, context, uh, Brad Pitt's character Cliff was hype. He, he was he's on acid. He was uh, tripping balls on a, on an acid cigarette. I mean, I love also like the the runaround where basically is like the hippies went into the house to kill the people who taught them how to kill, and then they get killed by the guy they gave the acid to. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and it's like. God damn it, Terrence. It's like, because... It's a again, strange like, twist of fate. <laughs> not even that. It's just like, okay, what's the setup for that cigarette for? Because, like, the thing is, Tarantino, when he puts something in the shot or he puts something in the film, it's like, this is going to lead up to something. Oh, yeah, yeah. 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 It, it has a point. It has a point. Now, there's a point. Chekhov's gun. Chekhov's flamethrower, sir. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Tell you what, you guys go for it. The final death. Oh, the final death, which is probably the most gratuitous because this... I'm not going to say poor girl because she kind of had it coming. <laughs> First, she gets a can of dog food to the face. You guys are from no smashed it. Loved it. Yeah. Then she gets savaged by a pit bull. <laughs> and like, arm, arm, face. I think also her groin gets uh, savaged as well. Nah. No, that was she, text. She was I think pulled that was around. Text. That was the yeah. guy. The guy yeah. got... That was text. Yeah. And then like, she rushes... Brandy, sick balls. <laughs> she crashes into the pool where DiCaprio is like, happy to like, listen Wait, to it. Wait, you forgot the window she crashed through first. Oh, yeah. She crashed through the window, into the she pool. She crashed through the, the glass door, across the lawn, into the pool. Yep. Startle, and then finally, uh, DiCaprio's character Rick Dalton notices because like, he's too busy like listening to his radio. He's like, what the fuck? <laughs> And then he runs into his shed, and you think, oh, he's gonna get his handgun or a, uh, you know, baseball bat. <laughs> no, the fucking flamethrower, which was an offhand reference <laughs> to a movie he was in two hours previously. He still has it. It and still then, works. While yeah. this woman is in the pool, he cooks her alive. Yeah. <laughs> Are you like a Manson girl, a char broiled? <laughs> you know what? He literally got medieval in her ass. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was... I'm gonna give me some lead piping and a blue torch. Nope, flamethrower. Flamethrower beats all that. Oh my god. Oh uh, god, very it satisfying. Was... 
extremely satisfying. And no. then, for the nice little like denouement afterwards, he just goes up and has a drink with uh, Sharon Tate and her friends. I love that. I love how he buttoned that scene up perfectly. Even I love how he buttoned up, especially like oh, there's so many threads that he just ties up perfectly at the end. Like that scene where he fires Cliff Booth. Yeah. But in the end, like we're still friends. I'll see you tomorrow. Yeah. Nothing's gonna change. Yeah. You know. And it's just like seeing that. Oh, <laughs> you know. And then, oh god. And then Rick Dalton's career will go somewhere because he's friends with uh, Sharon oh, yeah, Tate and stuff. Yeah, I mean, he's gotten in with um, uh, what's his face? Uh, Jay Sebring, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Roman Polanski, Roman Polanski. Roman Polanski. And then basically, who I assume in this uh, universe also doesn't uh, fondle a thirteen-year-old. Well, you can't. No, say no you can't. Have you seen Sharon Tate? Yeah, she's in the movie. She is. Margot Robbie is watching the actual Sharon Tate. Oh yeah, the Wrecking Crew movie. Yeah, that was. Which is a bit of a cop out, but then I also discovered that it's the reason more for why respect, yeah, it's more for respect. Like he did approach the Tate family for permission, and then they were like, uh, "Is it possible to leave Sharon Tate as she is?" Because they didn't want. I suppose fair enough because because Tar- yeah because Tarantino had to go through a lot. I mean, to get mm-hmm. the rights of a movie like the Wrecking Crew, yeah, you know, and it's like well, that's a Universal picture, if I'm not mistaken. Right? I think so. Yeah. But Universal wasn't one of the, the studios that backed this. No, no, no. I don't think Could so. Be I, wrong. Know, I know no. it was this Sony was, was that distributed Sony, this uh, here anyway. This is, yeah, this is a Sony Columbia. Man, we're going to have to edit all this nonsense out. This is going on for way too long. It's been 40 minutes and we still haven't gotten to the best parts? Yeah. How about that? You know, how about all that action at the Spawn Ranch? Oh, yeah, yeah. It was a nice <laughs> oh, little yeah, tense just, moment. Yeah, yeah just uh, probably, probably the tensest part of the movie. Yep. Because just 10 minutes of him being stared down by all these weird hippies. Who you know what they're gonna do, which if you've known the Manson murders, but mm-hmm. oh boy, that was. But also at the intense. same time, it's like you gotta have that tense moment because yeah. I mean it's nowhere near the level of barroom scene in Glorious Bastards, but every once in a while Tarantino reminds you, oh yeah, I'm a big fan of Hitchcock. Want to see some tension? Here's yeah. some tension. It's like, hey, uh, kids, who you thought it was tense the last uh, action movie you saw? Watch this. And, and then like, this is this is how you do build up. Tighten, yeah. yeah, the course. after all that tension. All right. Here's some real tension. And then he goes with the third act. And I would say, this is one of the few times where a film feels complete. It is so nice to watch a movie that isn't a franchise that needs to lobby off into a fucking sequel or to a cinematic universe. There's no... Even though this is part of the cinematic universe because there is that that jab at the end where like, oh yeah, you assholes who stay for for like uh, end credits stingers. Yeah, I have my one red for you. Apple reference. Yeah, here's my red apple. I also have a cinematic universe. Everyone in all my movies smokes the same brand cigarettes. And it's like, oh yeah. And it's like, I love it. I love the fact that he would like not only call reference, but he has, I would say, that awareness of what's going on right now and how. I mean, if you want to have the deeper conversation, it'll be he does know how to talk about the end of an era. And how he refers to the current end of an era where the audiences are not like you know piling in like uh, in droves to go see the Tarantino films. No, they're all looking forward to the next Avengers phase. So they're looking forward to the next whatever superhero comic phase, more or whatever, less. Whatever, yeah, franchise thing that's going to be like shoved down our throats. And then also at the same time, it's I love the fact that he just gleefully admits to the fact that he too himself is part of that era that is going to fade away soon and I think that's why there's that very nice kind of tie into his actual career where he has openly said yeah this will be my penultimate film I'm going to just do one more because he does not want to be that old guy yelling at the cloud he doesn't want to be that old filmmaker who is 
past his prime. Yeah. He knows when to quit. Which also at the same time, I'm sad, I'm happy, but also this, I also want to say, yeah, live your life, man. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's always best, as I say, to leave and wanting more. Mm. Like, always leave just before you're done rather than overstaying your welcome. Exactly. Yeah. And because I you're mean, always going to remember by the last thing you make. I mean, he's nothing but, if anything, people forget that this guy at his core is a writer. He can still make universes he can still tell stories he just doesn't need to direct them anymore yeah he can still make scripts and like handing off to like you know up and coming yeah he can go back to his days of true romance before he started directing which is why like to me I would say like what I would really want to see Tarantino do especially in his more like as he enters his golden years he needs to be like a Spielberg he needs to go and like find his J.J. Abrams and they're like like start some protégés and like you know just you know mentor them up yeah he just has to go to like that foot fetish website and then start saying <laughs> hey anyone want to make a movie yep. <laughs> I don't know I mean like there are guys out there that definitely could use some of that magic Tarantino production and like some yeah. of that guidance and wisdom because like the, the people who came before him like he does nothing but pay tribute to those who came before him and if anything like we gotta give props to like if it wasn't for fucking Harvey Keitel giving this kid a chance none of this would have happened yeah. oh for sure yeah you know, and also at the same time, it's like, you know, Tarantino, like, you've told your stories, like, you know, why don't you help pave the way for the next generation of people who's going to break the mold and smash what is mainstream right now? And it's like, that is his true call, I would say. Yeah, for sure. You know, it's I mean, time for him to be the mentor rather than... It's time for him to be Obi-Wan Kenobi. Come yeah. on, calm down. Okay, you can't do this for the rest of your life. Oh, then again, he could be like Sam Peckinpah and like, till he dies, you know, <laughs> just keeps making these fucked up movies. That, uh, I, I, I want... I want three more three more at least you know you can't just stop at ten okay that number is just too I don't know too official well then it could be do Kill Bill's volume three four and five and then you have nah I wouldn't want three four five I I mean I'm interested if he does want to do Kill Bill three you know and the fact that Uma Thurman's actual daughter finally aged up yeah you know and starts kicking ass you know and and we can see her kick ass in Stranger Things 3 you know and also and also kind of run away at the end (laughs) oh yeah she was yeah Shared universe, I guess. Uh, sure. <laughs> and, I mean, also, I don't know, if he does a Star Trek, like, where's he gonna go with that? <laughs> uh, I think I know. You know what? It'll be good. And, you know, we'll get to see some gnarly-ass alien feet, that's for sure. You know what you know, you're not gonna see? Yeah. We're gonna see no lens flares. We're gonna see the fucking 60 starship with the goofy chair and the yes. goofy blinking <laughs> lights. Like, true to the original. It's like, no, 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 this is what Star Trek looks like, you know. It's just Uhura touching your ear and pointing to this thing that, like, just blips on the screen. It's like, <laughs> yeah, that's Star Trek. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Uh, I mean, okay, so... And our ratings are Star Trek. We might look to that. <laughs> Let's give the ratings. Sure. Uh, why don't you go first? Me? Yes, you. Uh, this is a 9 upon 10. 9 ah. upon 10, close to 9.5. This is the closest to a 10 I've given this year. Well, no, you've given a 10 already. That's a bullshit ten <laughs> Fuck Detective Pikachu. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck Psyduck. <laughs> what a heel turn. Uh, heel turn? No. Uh, yeah, me, it's a nine as well. Yeah, it's a fun film. Nine out of ten. See, this is definitely... If you had to watch one movie, watch this, then John Wick. Then maybe Alita Battle Angel. Then whatever else that comes out. Yeah. I mean, among all the Quentin Tarantino films, I'm not sure yet, but... So far, I really enjoyed watching this, 100%. Yeah. Well, maybe that will be for Volume 3 of this uh, <laughs> episode, podcast episode. Okay, this is 
something we need to address. Uh, Last King fans, we're not gonna fucking talk about Dora the Explorer. Yes. Nope. And <laughs> since not, nothing else not. is gonna be coming up for a while, welcome to our very f- and only official Tarantino Fez month. Yeah. The Road to Tarantino. The Road to Tarantino, Volume 1, Chapter 3. <laughs> now we're gonna go to Chapter 1. Uh, so, uh, stick in your VHS tapes as we go back to 1992. <laughs> the year I was born. <laughs> Yes, as he was uh, struggling through the afterbirth, <laughs> Tarantino was over at Sundance, <laughs> dropping us the mad bomb that is Reservoir Dogs, uh, directed by uh, Mr. Tarantino, written by Mr. Tarantino, produced by Lawrence Bender, and also the start of a film career that I think we'll never see a, the likes of in a long, long, long time, boys. Yeah. And I would say also, um, I don't know. Amongst the Tarantino verse, how do you guys rate this one? General impressions. This is my favorite Tarantino movie. Out of the ones you've seen? Yeah, I've heard, I've seen seven. No, six. Okay, Kill Bill counts as one. Uh, hang on, I'm going to have to do some. <laughs> how about you, months. Mr. Yellow? Um, <laughs> I'm definitely, it's one of my favorites. It's still my top three, but we'll discuss about my favorite one later yeah, on. I'll- yeah. Oh really? Yeah, You're yeah, saving yeah, later it? On, later so on. nothing from the nineties era is in your top. No no no, it is, it is. Um we'll talk about that later as oh, we speak. As we arrive at sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But okay. generally so... I just like the fact that this is probably Tarantino's shortest film that I've recalled. <laughs> which is good. Yep. No, I mean I'm not I'm not knocking Yet his films his most and everything. Draggiest. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not as drag I mean it obviously isn't draggy because it went straight to this to like what happened to the heist, what happens in between. We find out who the mole is among all the you know, the diamond heist guys and everything. Everything all plays out really well up to its violent end. And you know, violent beginning as well too. So it's all character driven. Well, which the is really beginning awesome. is the end, sir. Yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's a Tarantino film. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it never plays out. It always plays out of order, which is what I love too. You know, you don't want something conventional, right? So, and I also love the fact that he's been doing it since the beginning, and it's never felt like a gimmick. Yeah, it's just been a, a tool for storytelling, and especially when you, we're going to talk about the next movie. Which is like the most non-linearist of the non-linearist. Oh yes, yes. also films. is like the seminal Tarantino movie. Like when it influenced everything. Like yeah. when you ask someone, "Oh, what do you think of when you when I say Tarantino?" Everyone says the movie we'll talk about next. But yeah, let's talk about the first one. Yeah. Um, well, I mentioned this is my favorite of the six I've seen. Um, it's not the best one. I think the best one of the uh, I've seen in terms of like quality-wise is probably still Inglorious Bastards. Mm. But this is my favorite because. And uh, because I like how simple and focused, uh, to a certain extent, the story is. Okay. It's still all about this one, like, crime family and just how one fucked up job can ruin absolutely everything. Yeah. Which, I don't it's quite a nice parable, like, just how close you are to absolute failure at any given point. I agree. I also like, like the fact that this is one of those few movies where, I mean, one of the constant themes in a lot of Tarantino films is duality and about how yeah. different people represent different things to others. And, I mean, in, especially in the case of uh, Mr. Orange, you know, played gloriously by Tim Roth. Oh, just, yeah, this is, I think, the first time I've seen, I ever saw Tim Roth. Yeah. Alright, it's it's so sad to see him do, like, you know... The plates the... are coming. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> or the con is on for you, all you guys in the US. Yeah. Don't watch that movie. He can do better. Why not? Watch it when you're very, very drunk. And you laugh at how they were so lazy to even like come up with an awards name for the awards show. <laughs> it just says awards. awards. Oh, man. Uma Thurman is in that movie, too. Uh, why did you have to remind me? <laughs> I will say this also. But, um, yeah. I mean, speaking of serendipity, I mean, we do also do... It's very hard to think that all of this happened through a phone call. Really? I mean, if you have to think about it, like, 
this is some unknown guy who spent his entire life working at a video store and decides to go out there and make movies. Sold a few scripts, made a name for himself. Okay, Mr. Tarantino did write uh, True Romance, got optioned, and it got made by uh, uh, Tony Scott. Yeah. And Tony Scott also saw the draft of Reservoir Dogs and thought to himself, like, I want to do that too. And he's like, nope, I want to do this one. And he was willing to just go out on a limb and just like, with the amount he gathered, it was like $30,000 in change yeah. and a 16mm. He was just about to go and shoot this with his friends. So, like, Reservoir Dogs could have just been that really good student film, but then something happened. And Mr. Harvey Keitel, who, like, through a weird sequence of events, because Lawrence Bennett, the producer, was uh, going to acting class and his acting teacher was friends with this lady who knew Harvey Keitel. Huh. So, he passed the script to his acting teacher, who passed it on to his wife, who passed it on to Harvey Keitel. And Harvey Keitel says, like, whoever this kid is, I'm going to give him a call. And like, you have to think about it. This is before internet. You had to actually phone people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Cold calling and everything. It's being pre-career uh, Tarantino. Like, getting called, like, but uh, I was just, oh, this is Mr. Keitel. This is Harvey Keitel. You, Fuck you, no, it isn't. You might know me from uh, such films as Taxi Driver and, yeah, yeah, I know who you are. You're like, I love your script. Let's make this movie. Bam. On a condition, I'm a producer and I get to be in a shit sure. show. <laughs> oh man. And at the same time, it's like, uh, we have to also kind of talk about the fact that nobody had seen anything like this before. And like, this is what, this is what we would call the equivalent of like hot script. Mm. And people who read it have nothing but good things to say about it. And also then you also have to remember executives had no idea what to do with it because for the first time ever wait there's no action scenes there's these guys are talking for too long wait we're gonna hold on this scene for how long like wait what and it you can imagine is like such how refreshing this was for a lot of people especially the actors because the one thing we all can just definitely point at is like everybody had fun on this film for except sure. for Lawrence Turney yeah. <laughs> Lawrence Turney was a bit of a shithead uh, we all know the legend we all hear the stories about how he pulled a gun on his nephew and he had to go from bail to the set and how Tarantino fired his ass in like three days <laughs> and he's like well there goes Joe yep. <laughs> you know I mean, he had that one important line which nobody remembers wait yeah uh, who didn't tip yeah that, that's all I yeah. can remember about him but also like okay so this is a guy with a very unique voice and I think one thing we also need to kind of point out is the fact that this was the start of that early 90s cultural zeitgeist where films are going to change from now on starting with this kid and then like also the likes of like Kevin Smith Robert Rodriguez who also kind of emerge along the same time where these guys were just limited by budget and like permission and how I mean <laughs> yeah it's like why is there no action scene I was a student when I made this. Yeah, I don't have money <laughs> to do all these things here and there. Yeah, you know, and like the fact that everybody thought, oh, they must have blown the budget on those Armani suits. Nope. No, <laughs> some of those suits belong to the actual actors. A lot of actors, even Chris Penn, or yeah, Chris Penn, that's his actual jumpsuit. That's his <laughs> actual tracksuit. He's wearing his home clothes to work that day. <laughs> Wardrobe. Yeah, there he is. You know, and like, I would say, I think for a lot of people, this was their. I mean, was this the first Tarantino movie you see? No, my first movie was Pulp Fiction because... Then you went back to Rizzo. Yeah, because I got introduced to this through my father. Because, mm. yeah, I mean, I was... Yeah, minus one month when this movie uh, got released. God, I wasn't old enough to watch this in the cinema when it came out. I got this on Illegal... Not not Illegal. Uh, a friend of mine had it on VHS, went to his house, watched it. And I thought, this is the coolest fucking movie in the world. Oh my god, that whole ridiculous Madonna diner... Oh yeah, the intro. dialogue What a way to open a movie... <laughs> You know, <laughs> just Tarantino saying she has big dicks. It's like, 
Okay. And like she's getting fucked for the first time. It hurts. <laughs> it's like, like oh, I don't think any other film opened that way or even had much focus on dialogue at the time, right? Or even that that in that. I can't think of, of any because it's like this was definitely the start of something brand new. Yeah. I mean, you can point to his obvious influences. You can also point to the fact that he, this is not the first non-linear movie. Okay, I mean, you can even point to the fact that La Band Apart, his production company, is named after fucking, uh, like that, uh, that Jean-Luc Godard film, you know? And then it's like, oh yeah, he's a, fan, he's a fan of French New Wave. I had no idea what the fuck French New Wave was. To me, this was just a different kind of cinema. It's just a, a cool movie. And yeah. yeah, I mean, it's definitely not new in terms of like doing anything new, but maybe this is the first time we see it in, you know, in a way that movie. we can easily that's easily accessible yeah and also I would say that it was perfect timing because this was like culture was changing everywhere else I mean if you think about like how music was like this was the era of Nirvana yeah of alternative music alternative lifestyle it's like that you, that new young generation that new taste was coming up because it's like this was definitely the 80s was definitely on its way out and then kids were like looking forward to seeing things that represented them and then you have to also understand like I would say, maybe even for you, Tom, despite all of the movies you've seen, right? Mm. You can safely say when you see something like Reservoir Dogs, the first thing you think to yourself, this is fucking intelligent. Yeah, This is catering to me on a cerebral level. Yeah, because the dialogue is just like, I mean, thank God I watched it at the right age to where I could actually understand what they were saying because they're talking very fast about, hey, welcome to the first ever staple of a Tarantino movie. They're talking about something which has fuck all to do with it. <laughs> not. <laughs> but you're just sitting there, you're just going like, this is just like listening to some friends bullshit at the at the diner, and I can't help but be engrossed by this because you relate to it. Right? Yeah. I think I would say, say like this is the start of that whole. I mean, we do also have to kind of point out the fact that all the the ripoffs that came out much later, mm-hmm. like okay, how many movies about re, like Hitman talking about comic books came out after this? Too yeah, many. Too many. Okay. <laughs> Because Hollywood is full of shills and, and yeah, copycats, not so much duplicators. Yeah. Yep. But so at the same time, um, he created enough of a voice to rise above the crap. And yeah. I would say, uh, when I returned to Reservoir Dogs, especially in research for this film, and I love the fact that for this episode I get to rewatch all these Tarantino movies. This is by far the one thing that really tapped into that nostalgic moment because I was like 13 years old again when I watched this and I remember exactly the time the place what I dressed the bands I was listening to as I was watching this film and seeing them young (laughs) was kind of like interesting yeah yeah. I keep forgetting how almost handsome Buscemi was in the early 90s did you just call Buscemi I love how you're like yeah he's not handsome no he's not ugly he's not pretty he's just pretty (laughs) ugly huh yeah, it's just like <laughs> at least he had, doesn't have that sunken look behind his weird ass eyes. He did. He still, he still <laughs> has that. Then. Yeah, it's more prominent over age, like in '97. It's a lot. It's yeah. a lot. It's a lot less gaunt as of now. But, yeah, yeah, but yeah, back then, like. Also, I think this is the first movie I saw where you had a real nutcase bad guy. Uh, with the torture scene in the Michael Madsen, right? Yeah. yeah, and Mr. Blonde. Yeah, because I think maybe just because I hadn't seen it but this is the first movie I remember seeing where like oh this is someone who generally gets a kick out of hurting people and he's like doing this as like a fun downtime activity and it was engaging and horrifying to watch in equal measure I would also like to add on that the fact that it's like this was right after the era of the 80s slasher movies like seeing somebody like Freddy Krueger kill a person like 
in a way, it's still kind of fun. It's gory, it's horrible, but at the same time, there's that goofy comic book like yeah, aesthetic. especially when you get to the and third it, films onwards. Yeah, yeah, and then like when you watch Michael Madsen like thoroughly enjoying himself and ruining stuck in the middle with you for everybody oh, on yeah. the planet, <laughs> you know, much like how like. Okay, if you've seen Clockwork Orange, you can never listen to Singing the yes. Rain the same way ever again. Yeah, <laughs> I would say um, here's the strange thing, and I want to discuss it with you boys. Do you think this movie is violent? Uh, not really. In the year of 2019, in the year of our Lord 2019, where I have seen a uh, John Wick film. <laughs> not just that, where I watched a guy get curb stomped by Michael Myers. Hmm. Like doing very good uh, crushing cabbage uh, noise. Did you all not kind of feel how this is kind of yeah, tame? Yeah, now, it is. Huh? It is oh, yeah. tame. Yeah. Just remember, and back in the nineties, I don't think we've seen anything like what Tom described, anyway. So. But then, like, I saw slasher movies back in the eighties, and those were gory as fuck. But those are gory yeah. fun. This was a lot like, more visceral. Also, definitely real. Definitely real in that sense. And then, but then at the same time, it's like I've seen a lot of war movies. Like Platoon was fucking visceral. Oh yeah. You know, some of the violence there is like oh, oh yeah. a little too hard. And if you if you recall Asian cinema, yes, sir, <laughs> shit coming out of Japan, like you think that's hardcore? Yeah. What are you talking about? <laughs> and I, I love that. I love that, like that cultural disconnect. You know, it's like, oh, this is violent for you. This feels kind of normal to me. And seeing like the the outrage because here in Singapore, when like this movie was R twenty one for the violence, and really, and the and the imagination in my head is like, how violent could it be? I've never heard. Because usually here in Singapore, it's nudity and sexuality. Yeah, it's very rare where violence has it gets an R rating. And as a thirteen year old boy who was like, denied this film until I could finally catch it on a VHS, my friend somehow managed to get and watching it, I was kind of disappointed. This is not that violent. Gee, <laughs> I remember when I would raid my parents' DVD cupboard along with the liquor cabinet. The <laughs> Yeah, it's like trying to find like oh these like hidden gems like oh they're meant to be super violent and gory. What's it going? That's fine. Ah, really? That's okay. Ah, okay. As for its time, was what I mean? What do you think, Mister Yellow? Do you think this? I mean, for its time, in the can night, you still call it a violent uh, film? Well, I mean, we've seen Akira and how violent that was too, and a few other animes. Mm. So I'd say, I guess for live action, it was all right, kind of violent. I was still kind of shocked, but not after seeing a bunch of other films in like ninety. 96, 97 onwards though because I've watched Pulp Fiction before watching uh, Reservoir I mean Reservoir Dogs my second yeah, Tarantino yeah. film so I went backwards Pulp Fiction has very yeah, little yeah, violence yeah. and people complain about the violence in that one as well and actually no they complain more about the drug use yeah and yeah, that I mean, wasn't that I bad in the, retrospect the violence yeah. was I think a bit more visceral in Pulp Fiction especially against men <laughs> yeah <laughs> And it was definitely like hands down, still my favorite rape scene. <laughs> right, right, like well, that, that and that's deliverance. A quote. Jesus, <laughs> favorite rape scene. That scene in Pulp Fiction, which we'll get to soon. <laughs> yeah, but I think Tarantino didn't go like hardcore violent until uh, the Kill Bill era. And the thing is, like, he kind of succumbed to the gory fun yeah, violence. Yeah. yeah, I mean, having Uma Thurman rip people's eyeballs out it was like this is this is glorious. Yeah, and then, like watching him kind of, not, I don't want to say return to the well, but. Seeing how he treats violence now, like it, the schlockiness of how it uh, appears in the likes of Django, or even in Once Upon a Time, where that is li- that is this this actress head is caving in in front of us, and it's like, why is this enjoyable? And I would say it's like it's strange where like the the, the current conversations where like media can, can still be desensitize people, and it's like, huh? No, you you gotta kind of like 
Really? I mean, especially in this era where people are trying to convince us, like, oh, yeah, you know what causes mass shootings? Video games. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, sure. Uh, that's so dumb. Yeah. Well, well mm-hmm. I mean, mind you... Like, are like, we having this conversation yeah. again? Yeah. This, is, this <laughs> yeah. feels like the 90s all over again, or even like the mid-2000-ish when Grand Theft Auto 3 came out. Yeah. So silly. That game wasn't bad. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's the thing. It's just... Ugh. Well, anyway, let us not uh, go down too much. So, two years later... Pulp Fiction Oh, drops. yeah. Yep. yep. And the world went crazy. <laughs> Everybody lost their fucking minds because I would say, hands down, till now, this is the coolest movie ever made. Because you show this to a 13-year-old and immediately their film snobs. You yeah. show this to, like, anybody and it's like, you remember the lines. Like, this is probably one of the most quotable films of all time. Yeah, I think this is probably one of the first movies made me realize... Not just that I sometimes enjoy watching movies. Like, no, I like cinema mm. after this movie. I guess so. Like, this is definitely, like, especially for me, this was my turning point. It was this and Kevin Smith's clips that kind of turned me on. Like, I had witnessed, like, amazing films before then. But it, this was probably, for me, the moment where I thought to myself, oh my god, there's a guy who, there's a director, there's people who tell stories a certain way. I need more of this. Where does this exist? And then... They, they, then the rabbit hole starts. And this is before internet, boys. You know, yep. it was hard for me to get movies. Uh, uh, but if anything, um, yeah, uh, resurrected the career of John Travolta. Yeah, he was a thing. Like he was my favorite thing about Greece. <laughs> Not so much Saturday Night Fever, though. Well, I mean, that's uh, it, that film has aged very badly. Well, the sequel, yes. I think Saturday Night Fever still is quite relevant. I don't know. I watched it and... I mean, I could kind of see something in it, but I... I don't know. Maybe because I watched it when I was really fucking hungover, but <laughs> I didn't enjoy it at all. Uh, Grease was still alright. Yes. Grease was amazing. You know what? You should you should watch Luku's Talking. Probably the definitive John Travolta movie. Sure. <laughs> it's about him and Christy Ellie and the baby who can talk. And, okay. the, and the baby's voice by Bruce Willis. Uh, but then again, um, I would also say Pulp Fiction in 1994 started my love affair with probably the most cinematic woman of all time. Goddamn, Uma oh, yeah. Thurman. Yep. Watching her then with the Cleopatra wig and just like shaking it in front of Doing fucking... the twist, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dude, with fucking yes. John Travolta. You know how people's minds were blown oh, back dude, then? I was enthralled. Looking at, yeah, just watching it's, that. It's the guy from said like, and the thing is Tarantino constantly does this. Is like, it's the guy from that movie famous for that one thing doing it in yeah, this yeah, movie doing the twist really with well. this other yes. person. Let's not uh, gloss over the fact that the start of motherfucking Sam Jackson's Oh yeah, career, yeah. This is the film that actually like, you know, made him more popular than he, he even this was. This was yeah. him as a household yeah, name. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, nobody remembers his walk-on cameo in fucking Coming yeah. to America. No. Some people might remember him from yeah, Do the yeah, Right I Thing. Yeah, I remember that. I mean, he's just a DJ. It was a minor role at best three. as a DJ. Yeah. After, yeah. okay. Then came the awards. Seven Academy Award nominations. Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor for uh, John Travolta, Best Supporting Actor for Sam Jackson, Best uh, Supporting Actress for Uma Thurman, uh, Best Film Editing for Sally Menke, Rest in Peace, and uh, Winning One for Original Screenplay for Tarantino. Yep. I've said this in season 2 and I'll say it again fuck Forrest Gump this should have won well fuck <laughs> Forrest Gump for various yeah. reasons but in particular I like Forrest Gump <laughs> but, yeah. but, but uh, uh, what's that Pulp Fiction was a movie ahead of its time and I feel that it deserves a lot more nobody's quoting fucking Run Forrest no, Run actually they anymore. do I mean maybe I don't know yeah. I don't know maybe someone out there but yeah 
Pulp Fiction was still the cool movie then, and you watch it now, it's still cool right now, still. You know, but then again, I mean, guys, thoughts. Was Pulp Fiction robbed? Definitely yes, robbed. Because this movie's yes, fucking awesome. <laughs> Having seen both, yeah, Forrest Gump is a well made movie that did make me cry at the end, but. Yeah, made me cry yeah. too. Yeah. I would st- still say this. Uh, one of the, the best uh, legless Gary Sinise moments, yeah, at yeah, least, was... I would think. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> of the many, the oh, best legless Gary Sinise Whatever moment. happened to Gary Sinise? Like, he topped out over at CSI, right? He's, he did New yeah, York CSI. and then that's it, right? Is he still a thing? Uh, CSI, uh, I mean, it's still going on, right? I'm not sure. He's still my favorite part of Apollo 13. It was so weird seeing Tom Hanks and him in the same movie. Like, I was just hoping for, like, you know, bloopers where he accidentally calls him Lieutenant Dan. <laughs> <laughs> As he's out there in space. Help me, Lieutenant Dan! I'm here with Kevin Bacon and Bill Paxton. Like, as much as I appreciate oh, Forrest Gump, I still rewatch Pulp Fiction from time to time again because, again, you just want to watch it for the style, the dialogue, just how everything... I mean, it's obviously a story that this doesn't, this doesn't play out play in order, but you watch it, you want to put the pieces together and just, you know, rewatch the cool scenes over and over again. Everything about it. I mean, uh, guys, your favorite moment. Uh, the part where the little kid goes around, he die, motherfuckers! <laughs> and misses them. And they just like, very calmly just look at the wall and go, fuck off. I did like Christopher Walken <laughs> telling the story to young Bruce. <laughs> yes, punch the punchline. Oh, yeah. yeah, fantastic. The delivery, punch everything, line. it was just yeah. great. And then it just cuts to Bruce Willis waking up. Yeah, fucking, and it's Christopher Walken doing his best <laughs> Christopher <Exactly>. Walken. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you see this watch. <laughs> Your it's, father had Yeah, Walken cute. Sure. <laughs> but like, there's, there's so many moments, it's very hard to say what's my favorite moments. Uh, you know, the whole Bruce Willis side story is amazing. Mm-hmm. Like, the part where, uh, once again, Harvey Cartel reappears to tell him how to clean The Bonnie shit. situation, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Good stuff. Oh man, the Bonnie situation. I mean, for me, hands down. <laughs> That scene with the gimp <laughs> came out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah. And I remember just how visceral that was because... Throughout the movie, I thought I was watching like a cool gangster movie, and, and then, then that, that happens. Yeah. <laughs> and the thing is, how it happens was so nonchalant. It's literally Bruce Willis going back to get said watch, and then bumping into Marcellus in the weirdest way possible <laughs> as he was getting, as he was crossing the street with Big Kahuna yes. Burger, and then they lock eyes. He rams into him. A cop arrests them, but doesn't take him to the police station. Takes him to the basement of some guy's shop. They lock the doors. They open a chest. A guy wrapped in leather appears. <laughs> and then you ask yourself, wait, wait, what is that? And then that's the first time I've ever seen a ball gag. And this is pre-internet me at a very, very, uh, I would say, a susceptible age. You know, like, I was not privy to such a... You were, what, 15 at the time? Oh, yeah. 15, 16. I was like, what is that? A little naive... <laughs> Internet was yeah, internet high was speed. Never made internet hadn't arrived yet. That shows how different our upbringings were. Because by the, oh, time, yeah. I, by the time I was fifteen, I knew what a ball gag was. By the time you were fifteen, you had a ball gag. <laughs> <laughs> you brought one today, <laughs> and he left it up his ass. <laughs> and one of us is gonna inherit. Oh it. my god! <laughs> yeah. Okay, continue with the story. Continue the story. That was not the reference <laughs> I wanted you to make. And the fact of the matter is, is like, okay, what are they gonna do with this guy? And you still have to understand, as like as a fifteen, like sixteen year old watching Pulp Fiction. And like, the thing is, I was lucky enough to have the kind of growth spurt where people thought I was 18 anyway. Yeah. So I just walked into the cinema with that bullshit high school mus- mustache we oh, all have. Oh yeah, like the, the, the little feather duster. <laughs> well, the peach falls walking in and like, <clears throat> you yeah, one for Pulp Fiction. Uh-huh. I watched it in the cinema and I was like, this is the most bad shit thing I've ever seen in no, my life. You know something better? I watched this with my parents. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Like, my, my dad, 
the same thing. We're gonna watch this movie. It's a fantastic movie, but it's get quite violent. And then yeah. is your dad up. the only guy in the whole of the universe who literally takes parental guidance as he has to sit next to you <laughs> and explain and guide you? Well, the thing is, like, <laughs> I knew it was fine because he was laughing next to me, so I knew it was an acceptable <laughs> thing to watch. I want to watch movies with your dad right now. <laughs> oh, he's amazing. what else is in the collection, <laughs> sir? Let's have a movie fest at the Oliver's. <laughs> I mean, like. How did it? How did that play out in the house? Like it was you and your parents. Mom, mom was there. Uh, she might have not been there, but I was, was definitely with dad. Yeah, I was fourteen, fifteen. Did dad lean over and explain to you, ah, oh, son, that's a ball gag. <laughs> so when you want to Roger a person, <laughs> and you want to kind of you want to keep the noise down <laughs> to a minimum, that's what you do. No, I think by that point he's he decided I was like mature enough to you know handle eighteen. I think he's probably just there with the can of beer in his hand. He's like, if he asks, I'll tell him. If he doesn't. I hope he figures it out. I just remember. Did you turn around, Dad? What is that in his mouth? It's a ball gag, son. I was fifteen. What are those weird noises coming out from the basement? I think my brother was there as well. Was he enjoying it? Did he also have a ball gag? I'm not gonna answer that. Or did you do it? Asked, asked. This is anyway. Moving on. So what happens to Big Rain? So back to my anecdote. There I was in the cinema, witnessing something I've never seen before, and then like, you know, it's the first thought that came to my mind. Wow. Oh, this is one of those grown-up movies. This is a grown-up <laughs> situation. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that this was like, oh, this is what you know, you know, grown men do in basements in their free time. <laughs> I didn't know better. Okay, listen, we didn't have internet yet. Okay, I was not privy to the wonders that I would later be. No, thank so you. So next time we went to like your neighborhood corner shop, you started looking around for like the door <laughs> to the basement. Oh man, uh, no, that's the thing. Like every fucking corner shop, like you know, whenever you saw an extra door, like yeah. you were suspect. <laughs> you were like, okay, I, I know what goes on. Be. That's where they have their adult moments. <laughs> no, but that's the thing. The, the beauty of it is like it left such an indelible mark on me that when I rewatched it and that moment where like. Oh, <laughs> and you watch it again with an adult mind and everything. It's like oh, okay. And when you watch it again with an adult mind, and then like. Now it's funny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Especially the part when Bruce and Willis was, was I mean, running totally up, scurrying, like, should I save him or not? And then he just goes look for a baseball pad and a weapon. Uh, and then the rifle scene where he's slowly choosing which weapon <laughs> yeah. to use. Should I get this sword or yes. this machete? Or the katana, yeah. <laughs> no, I, no, I love how it, it goes up the ranks. It starts with the hammer, then it's yep. the chainsaw, and then, nope, it's the katana. <laughs> of <Yeah>. course. <laughs> when you're in a close quarter situation, nothing more efficient than a katana. Which he uses to slice the gimp to threaten the guy as he's having adult situations with Marcellus. <laughs> like you have to understand, I didn't know what an uh, what an ass raping was yet, and, and this was my introduction. <laughs> Thank you, Tarantino. <laughs> oh, like oh, men can be raped too. Ah, oh, 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 oh. <laughs> oh, that must hurt. That was also kind of that was a nice of him. <laughs> the one of big rage character that was pissed poor off. Nice black yeah. man. <laughs> How dare you be so impolite to Mr. Marcellus <laughs> yeah. Wallace? What has he done? He got hit by a car. He's been through a lot yeah. already. <laughs> just seeing that and thinking to myself is like, huh? <laughs> it's like, and then I would say this is like what I love about Pulp Fiction, and then like also what the catalyst of that was was my mind opened up is like there are things out there that have been like I mean every kid feels this. Like you're like that that step into the wild blue yonder of uh, bunny ears of yep. adulthood and adult <laughs> situations, and it's like, 
when I finally realized what was happening to, the, to Marcellus. And also, you know, probably one of the best uh, closing uh, lines in a scene ever. <laughs> gonna get me a couple of hard. <laughs> gonna get uh, some lead piping and a blowtorch and get medieval on his ass. And I just love the fact that, you know, how delicious that line is because your imagination goes well. Like, what could that possibly mean? <laughs> yeah. Or just having a conversation where he's not even looking at Bruce Willis's character anymore. He's just like, I don't know you. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we're cool. Yeah, we're cool. cool. Just, I don't ever want to see you again. And don't tell anybody. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, man. I I would say this, like, and I mean, that's when I really fell in love with, like, I mean, it's also great for me because I was of that age where, like, you know, this is me stepping forward into what else was going around me and then me paying attention to the culture. And also discovering the films that will influence your taste from here on out, right? Oh god, yeah. Because the thing is, like, at that point in time, like, my favorite movie of all time was probably Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Like, to me, that's the best movie ever. Nobody can contest me. Oh, you were that kid. And then I saw Pulp Fiction. This is the best movie <laughs> ever. And you became the other, that guy. And then, like, and then for a while, okay, for a while, I thought Seven was the best movie ever. Kind of, I'm going back to Terry Gilliam's Brazil forever. Like, no, that, that this is the, the smartest movie ever made to me. Then would be Godfather 1, then maybe Citizen Kane. But Citizen Kane, eh. I'll switch that out with Lawrence of Arabia anytime. Never mm. mind. But Pulp Fiction, definitely top 5. Hands yeah, down. For sure. I can't not... And the, the best thing about Pulp Fiction, right, is introducing it to the friend who's never seen it. Yeah, which is harder to do these days because I feel like most, especially... In my generation, especially like, the meme generation, where yeah. you get the jokes before, yeah, you yeah, see which kind of ruins like, the film in a sense, but not really. You know, it's like even like the not even like the fil- the wannabe film snobs, like everyone like has a, either at school at, at uni just popped it on one night to watch it because it's like what's the that big movie. deal? What's the thing that all our dads are talking about? Yeah, like, and then he, realizing oh, the, our dads have good taste in movies. <laughs> this is amazing. <laughs> yeah, like even like you know my fairly laddie uh, university mates really like this movie. It's so quotable. Yeah, for, for sure. It's such it's such a hard movie to explain. It's the kind of movie where it's like you have to watch it, you know. And it's like, what happens in it? Technically, nothing. But everything. It's a sort at the same of story time. that happens yeah. out of order, crime stuff. But yeah, that's that's, that's, that's yeah. It's about this guy who's supposed to look after the girl who ODs, and then how his best friend wants to quit the hitman game. And also at the same time, there's this boxer who doesn't take a fall and is running away from the boss of these two guys. And who then kills the original like. Hero of the story? Yeah. There's no They're hero just of the characters. Story. There's heroes. three leads. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I like the way that Tarantino described it as like, this is a movie where there's no actual uh, main character. It's about uh, three, that there's three Paramount characters, Bruce Willis, Samuel L. Jackson, and uh, yeah, Vince yeah. Vega. And it's like, you know, how they all intertwine around a situation. And I think th- this is also why this is such a prime example of, like, if you want to be a proper film snob, you also have to understand that. This is a movie where it's not about somebody's journey. It's not about, like, you know, resolution. It's not even about the redemption arc that, like, Jules has at the end. It's not about, like, the, the, the shit luck that fucking uh, John Travolta's character he goes to toilets. has yes. with toilets. <laughs> Literally shit luck. There, you know. Or also the fact that how Bruce Willis manages to, like, you know, ride off to the sunset with his girl. It's like, none of that matters because it's all about a series of unfortunate events that kind of happen, you know, non-sequentially. Yeah, I mean, like, I would say this. These guys went through a lot, but poor Marvin. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) He didn't deserve that at all. (laughs) 
and I love his that John Travolta moment. He looks like, "Hey, Marvin, bang. what do you think about <laughs> bang? Oh, I'm for something, yeah." You know, it's like one of my favorite lines of all time. It's like, "Why you got me wiping down the seat? You're on brain detail." <laughs> <laughs> it's like, uh, and okay, and then also leads off to one of my favorite lines is when Harvey Keitel asks Quentin Tarantino, "What do they look like? A dorks? They look like a couple of dorks." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why you're laughing. You're your fucking clothes, man. Oh <laughs> uh, man, so I don't know. Hands on. If you haven't seen Pop Fiction, where are you? Why are you listening to our podcast? Yeah, like you, you, are no longer allowed to listen to this podcast if you haven't seen Pop Fiction yet. Okay, go ahead, watch Once Upon a Time in uh, in Hollywood first, then you watch uh, Reservoir Dogs and Pop Fiction. Then watch it in chronological order, please. You need to see the ascension of this man's craft. Yeah, uh, okay. you don't have to watch Death Proof. I, I say yeah, you don't have to watch. Death. I mean, once you watch five Tarantino movies, you know what Death Proof is about. But if you're a fan of stunt work and amazing driving and Zoe Bell, watch Death Proof. That's the only reason to watch it. Which we'll discuss in chapter yeah. 3 of this podcast. <laughs> My god. Okay, it's I mean, so far. Yeah, we're far off. Yes, yes. Part 3? We're doing three decades, sir. I thought it was part 2. Uh, part 2? No, it's yeah. not linear. Oh, sure. Okay, fine. We're going to throw in fucking Dust Till Dawn somehow. And then people will be wondering, wait, wait, when did that part happen? Okay, it's gonna be just like in that scene in Death Proof, the scene missing. <laughs> Think of it as an Easter egg. We yes. randomly talk about something else. We're gonna talk about that time he directed like an episode of like you know uh, CSI for some reason. And I mean, like you know what? Let's close off this with uh, definitely the closing chapter to the nineties uh, Tarantino. We're gonna talk about definitely 1997's Jackie Brown. Mm-hmm. And I would say this is his best film, but not oh. my favorite. I would say this is the film that kind of cemented him as the director who can do no wrong. And I get why it didn't get the kind of reception it deserved because Titanic happened and everybody yeah. was looking at that instead, you know. And also at the same time, um, I would guess like, I also love the fact that the balls on this guy where usually people, whenever they hit that first success, like everybody talks about mm. the sophomore slump. Like, yeah. oh, your second movie is definitely not gonna do as well as the first one because you took your entire life to write the first one, and then you need to come up with a follow up in two years. But then he knocked it out of the park with fucking Pulp Fiction, and like, you also look at his contemporaries like Kevin Smith. Clerks was amazing, but he ate shit with mall rats, you know. And that has the first mm-hmm. Stanley cameo, and it's like, all of a sudden people were, like looking at all these directors and thinking maybe they're just one trick ponies, and. As uh, I would say, people comp- like will uh, describe Paul, uh, I would say Jackie Brown as kind of lackadaisical. Yeah, I thoroughly disagree. People will also describe it as a black exploitation. I also kind of disagree. I don't see the black. I mean, you see like, the actress Pam Grier, but that's it. Who yeah, were in from that era. Yeah. I mean, like his only true black exploitation would definitely be Django. I would say like that's a black exploitation film. Yeah. Like, you know, but this one but is obviously me, an adaptation from a book, which is just a crime drama per se, right? Crime drama. Yeah, and I will say also this, like I think what that's what a lot of people misunderstand about this film, because Tarantino for the first time ever adapted, and then he had kind of needed to stay faithful to the source material. In fact, he even got the fucking thumbs up from uh, Elmer Leonard himself. It was like this is probably the best version, the best adaptation of like uh, screenplay of, a, of one of my books. Yeah, sure. It's full blessing. Like, it is notoriously difficult to get like the full blessing, not like the 
I got paid a lot of money for executive producer credit, no, so I'm not gonna got say it. anything. Uh, thumbs up. And the thing is, I'm pretty sure that the conversation was like writer to writer. Like, yeah. I know your craft, you know my craft. And the thing is, Tarantino was also, I would say, very economical with his Tarantinoisms or his Tarantino esqueness. I mean, there are a lot of moments where you think to yourself, like, yeah, this is a Tarantino movie. And there's a lot of moments where, like, oh my god, this is like one of those nice, serious crime dramas, like, you know, that you would be very much used to in the 70s. You know, this is definitely something along the lines of maybe like a Sydney Lumet picture or something mm. along the lines of maybe like, like it's like watching The French Connection. Like to me, like I would compare this movie to something like maybe Dark Knight where you forget like, oh, I'm watching a superhero movie. But why does it feel like this really tense cop drama? Yeah. And I would say that about this film where it's like, it's the reverse where people are all kind of up on the expectations because Reservoir Dogs was amazing. Pulp Fiction was like gigantic. And then like, he, he this is his third movie. And yeah. Now, I haven't seen Jackie Brown uh, mm. much, uh, that much to my disappointment, and I definitely do want to watch it. But I think it might just be that you know people expect stuff after a certain while, and yeah. if because whilst I think they're very different movies, Pulp Fiction and Reservoir Dogs, there's still very much a element to it, and so if you're going in into cinema expecting this particular kind of movie and not getting it mm. it could still be good but because it's not what you wanted yeah, you're not going to enjoy it I mean how about you uh, I want to call you <laughs> yeah, 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 okay. again. Uh, so <laughs> this I don't know I mean I actually enjoyed watching Jackie Brown at the time and even up to now because it's like maybe it's Quentin Tarantino just keeping it low key but still keeping his um, yeah different shots keeping characters cool the amazing soundtrack especially and seeing Robert De Niro you know act as a back, I won't say a background character, but it's not loud, like it's supposed It's so but weird, it's really right? Cool to, to see, see Robert you know, De Niro yeah, low key. You want to see him like that <laughs> because the Steen Sealer is obviously Pam Grier, Robert Foster, and you know uh, Samuel L. Jackson. Because I felt that he's Samuel L. Jackson with the not, yeah, it's a weird straight luck. Yes. his haircut was the Steen Stealer. That too, that too. I agree yes. with that. His choice in flat iron and that that, that what's that shit? I don't know. <laughs> that soul patch. They'll call it soul patch. Yes, yes. <laughs> What's Didn't you also have like a rat tail or something? <laughs> That's, you know what? Yeah. <laughs> sure. Sure, Samuel L. Jackson. Do whatever you want. But, I mean... <laughs> this is, to me, where Tarantino cemented himself as the guy who can do whatever he wants and he doesn't need to prove himself ever again. Because when it comes to being the purist, when it comes to making, telling a story and serving only the story... I mean, a lot of people will point to a lot of his films as style over substance. Mm. And this is him deliberately removing the style, just maintaining a very a specific genre aesthetic. And also, like, keeping true to the source material, which, I mean, he hasn't done that ever since. I mean, even when people point to something like Django or something like Inglourious Bastards, which are kind of remakes. In, like, the loosest possible sense. the loosest possible sense, exactly. Yeah, that's a stylistic like, yeah, sense going on in those films compared to something a bit more pure like a Jack, this Jackie Brown adapted this this film yeah mm, I mean I fucking love this movie when it came out and you also have to understand like my point of view back then was like yeah I was that up and coming film snob uh-huh. but also at the same time it's like oh um, this movie challenged me because I was also fighting with the sensibility like this movie doesn't feel cool but I know it's good and I don't know why that's you know, always we've always we all have that one movie where yeah. like I know this is good but I can't explain it's why. It's just it's the good. way the characters act and themselves. Like when you see Pam Greer 
God damn, Pam gun. Green was best yeah, yeah. breathtaking, was, right? When you see yeah. Pam, uh, what's that, uh, Jackie Brown pulling out a gun at Samuel Jackson when he creeped into the house, that was like, that was a badass moment. You see, you just want to see how it unfolds from there, like how the mystery and caper. God damn, like, she was 44 yeah. at the time. Yes, she was sexy. Yes. Like, wow. But hey, welcome to black women. Like, they stop <laughs> welcome a- to black women. They stop aging around 35. <laughs> yes, I'm aware of Beyonce. <laughs> well, that's not, that's not even the best example. But, um, uh, like, what's her face? Uh, what's her face? <laughs> Queen Mother in uh, Black Panther. Queen Mother? Angela Bassett? And, oh, yeah. nah. Angela, Angela Bassett? Bassett? Angela Bassett's fine. She's 62 and does not look it. Hmm. I don't know. I'm more of an Eartha Kitty. Okay. Because yeah. Batman. No wrong. And then also, uh, and Robert Forster is like, like, that was the first time I, like, when I first saw this, there was a part of me that thought that this was boring. And, the, and like my sensibilities back then was more along the lines of like oh if it's not big and flashy and cool and full of style then it's like it's a, it's a weaker movie how old were you at the time? 997 I was 18 that, that says a lot yeah and you also have to understand 997 I was into a lot of uh, like very flashy things you know this was like I mean besides the year of Titanic this is the year the oh, PlayStation yeah. dropped ah yes you know I mean this is the year where the fucking prodigy dropped the fat of the land <laughs> it's like you know electronic music was happening I mean uh, train spotting was a thing and I was like like my sensibilities like I was desperate for like this uh, overwhelming of the senses and then Tarantino drops this very chill calm movie it's like I, this is his, definitely his calmest movie yeah and this movie is the fine wine that ages perfectly because like you, when I watch this as an adult and now I realise that oh my god Tarantino also has yes. nuance <laughs> Which is the weirdest thing to hear. <laughs> Which is something you would never say. Because it's like, when you talk about Tarantino, it's all about fast cuts and like, shit being thrown in your face and like, you know, F-bombs like and fire. crazy spurts of blood. Well, the way they kept yeah. the language for and this then, film, but still, the editing style and everything is just like, yeah, you're just trying to follow the beat of the yeah, movie I mean, book. Tarantino yeah. can never like, completely un-Tarantino yeah. his movies. I mean, the thing is, is like, that's what I loved about this film, especially, and why I think it's his best film, because it's him reserved. Hmm. And it's him being tasteful. It's him being a master of storytelling and I think also this was probably the first time like people will point to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and say like oh this is Tarantino reveling in being Tarantino whereas I would say he already did that back then where he understood what he represented and decided to like step away from it and just to like show other people like no no I can be a proper serious storyteller yeah, if I, mean, I need to be. he found his confidence very early on which is so good to have like and uh, he's also lucky because the first two things he did just skyrocketed they, they not only did were they commercial and uh, critical, critical yeah. successes it was just like oh I know what I can do very well so I can like use that as my stepping point whereas a lot of directors still have four or five movies to really like get a sort of grip of what their voice is I agree I totally agree with that because there's a lot of directors who like they go through their quiet phase mm. like something that Woody Allen would like now just do, be doing like movies yeah, for yeah. himself and then you can kind of sense like, yeah, this is not for me, but he's definitely he definitely has a voice and he's very practiced at it. Whereas Tarantino is like, I'm just going to do this once. And I'm yeah. just going to like prove to other directors or maybe prove to myself or prove to the fans is like, no, no, if you, I can tell a story like that too and I don't need to ever again because what he would drop after this would blow everybody's minds which we'll talk about next... in volume 2 yeah. of this episode <laughs> uh, let's, can we just call it volume 3 and then just yeah, sure whatever yeah uh, why not you know what like, we should end it right here this has been uh, the first part of a 3 part uh, of a, which is actually a 5 uh, uh, part version 
Uh, cut for time. <laughs> yes. Uh, apologies to Tim Roth for not appearing in the film. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I love that know, credit. Uh, uh, well, once upon a time. Look forward to 15 years time when we finally release like the uh, extended version. <laughs> Where it is literally eight hours of us slowly masturbating oh, Tarantino. Man. Yes, with ball gags. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're taking turns. Are we running a train on him? Oh, man. <laughs> I would say this. Uh, but yeah, tune in next week because, yes, we don't want to talk about fucking yes. Dora the Explorer. Let's no, not. We, let's not. Let's not. We really do not. It's this or Stuber. No. I don't that. want to talk <laughs> about Stuber, okay? As much as I like Kumail Nanjiani. And as much as Dave Bautista is fantastic, yeah. no. Nah, we know what that movie is about. We're fine. But we're going to bring you more Tarantino goodness. And uh, yeah, we should cap this off before it, <laughs> before we get too <laughs> indulgent and run our length, I guess. When have we ever been so, in the super indulgent? Have you not remembered oh, the Final Fantasy yes. episode which took <laughs> fucking three hours to get through all? Yeah. Goddamn. <laughs> anyway, don't worry. This will be edited yes. down for time. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but okay, you know what? We, we're going to cap it off here at the end of the 90s uh, Tarantino era we're not gonna talk about four rooms we'll just leave that as it is you know if you wanna if you seek it out go ahead but it's yeah it's not worth it I mean for the completionists out there sure go ahead uh, but no I mean uh, my favorite Tarantino film and I would say like he's, I mean as much as Jackie Brown is his best film but I would say his masterpiece that, that, that true uh, like a uh, perfect combination of all the elements and the return of Uma Thurman in probably one of the most badass roles of all time you know like we're gonna be talking about fucking Kill Bill Volume 1 and 2 oh yes soon okay so stay tuned to your uh, f- f- fans friends stay tuned to the Last King Podcast okay where we continue Tarantino uh, this epic saga this epic saga Alright, uh, and okay, so uh, I'm gonna send uh, Mr. Yellow here on a hero quest to learn uh, the five finger death strike. And uh, uh, Mr. White here, you're gonna. Uh, you're on Brain Sure. <laughs> so let's sign up right. properly, boys. Uh, this has been Mr. Mr. Brown. This has been Mr. Mr. White. <laughs> Yellow. Let's <laughs> out.